0: We can all relate to saying something that we wish that we could take back, don't we? <laughs> we think back to those times when we were in second or third grade and perhaps we learned some, some bold new vocabulary words that we decided we, we would roll out in front of uh, Sunday school teachers or Grandparents, or uh, so mother and father and grandma and Miss Smith down the hall in Sunday school, you know, they, when they hear us um, unveil these things, they look like they've been hit with an anvil, like the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Maybe it's that hot bit of gossip that we picked up in the coffee aisle food line that comes back to haunt us in conversation. Maybe it's that cute, condescending comment to a waitress that embarrasses her uh, and makes us appear foolish, uh, unkind. Especially if it's Sunday dinner after church and we have our church clothes on. And we pause and we think to ourselves, I cannot believe I just said that. (laughs) And we've all done it. The power of the tongue. Our mouths say a whole lot about us. That pun is intended. Our mouths say a whole lot. Well, as you're turning to, to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, you know, he has been in a standoff with the Pharisees. And, and last week, we, we ended our time with Jesus attacking the lack of logic in the Pharisees' argument that Jesus was working in conjunction with, with the devil. And, and, and Jesus, there in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, says to the Pharisees, How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. And the strong man, as we, as we found out, that's the one whom Jesus met way back in chapter 4 in the wilderness when he was tempted. Uh, that strong man is, is Satan, and the strong man's house, well, that's the here and the now. That's, that's the earthly realm, and with the fall of man, sin has entered in and creation has been afflicted. Um, we read in the New Testament that, that creation itself is groaning for the return of the Savior Jesus. The strong man's property, that's, that's those persons over whom there is demonic dominion, and, and, and Jesus, you know, he has entered the strong man's house. He's entered the realm of, of, of Satan, and, and Jesus has been carrying off the strong man's property. I mean, you If you've been with us uh, either here or or online, you you know that we have seen Jesus free many people um, from demonic possession during our time looking at Matthew and Kingdom Encounters. But when Jesus resists these three temptations of Satan in the wilderness, Jesus begins the process of binding the strong man. And, And because of his obedience to the Father, because Jesus went to the cross, because he was resurrected, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Really, amen. That could be the end of the sermon, but it's not. (laughs) The idea, Jesus is Lord over all, and he's Lord over our lives, and you know what? He wants to be Lord over our mouths, and that includes your pastor. Jesus is Lord, and his incoming kingdom has defeated sin and death and hell, and Jesus is still plundering the strong man's house. He's reclaiming lives and souls for the kingdom of God. And this morning, Jesus continues his confrontation with Pharisees. And in verse 30, Jesus says this, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Well, this is another statement of logic. Whoever is not with Jesus is against him. Whoever does not gather with Jesus will scatter. And see, Jesus' intent is to gather. He's trying to draw people together. He's trying to draw followers together. And that's what we as a church need to be about building the kingdom. And in 31, Jesus says, says this, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Wow. Well, I want you to hold on tight. We're going to address this in just a few minutes. But I want you to first look at the next verse, verse 33. Jesus says, you either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, but the tree is known by its fruit. Known by its fruit. There's two choices. Make the tree good, and if the tree is good, then the fruit is good. Make the tree bad. Well, if the tree is bad, then the fruit's bad. It's, It's logic. Um. It's Earth Science 101. The kind of fruit tells us the kind of tree. Um, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says in verse 34, in this warm, engaging discourse, Jesus says, you brood of vipers. (laughs) Yeah, that's not very endearing. But he calls them out, he says, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If the tree is good, then the fruit is good. Here's the accusation against the Pharisees. Since you are evil, how can you speak what is good? You brood of vipers. We've heard this before. Way back in Matthew chapter 3, when we first met John the Baptist, you know, John is preaching and he's baptizing, preaching repentance from sins. And John sees these Pharisees and these Sadducees coming for baptism and and John says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Repentance, turning from sin, which is what repentance means, will yield fruit that is good. But bad fruit is the sign of a bad tree. And what happens to the bad tree? Well, it's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, this morning in chapter 12, Jesus is quoting what his cousin John said. There in 34, "...you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart." The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Again, if if the tree is good, then the fruit is good. If the tree is bad, then the fruit is bad. For the tree is known by the fruit. And Jesus says in, in, in chapter 12, verse 34, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Ah, the heart. The heart speaketh. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. The heart doesn't lie. <sighs> oh, gosh. Jeremiah 17, says that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What else does Jesus say about the heart? Well, he says this. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. For the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him. They had dollar cheeseburgers. By the time we got to the band competition last night, the cheeseburgers and hot dogs were marked down to a dollar. And I began to reach into my pocket to see how many fives I had, (laughs) you know. Uh, But I refrained. Because he, he says, Jesus says, because what comes from the outside does not go into the heart but goes into the stomach like the hot dog or the hamburger and then is voided, is eliminated. But Jesus says this, that which proceeds out of the man... That's what defiles the man. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. All from the heart of man. So Matthew chapter 12 verse 36, Jesus says this, "But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned." And in popular vernacular, that's when a mic drop happens. <laughs> wow. Those are heavy words, careless words. We've all said them without thinking. The tongue seems like it has a mind of its own, doesn't it? James says this about the tongue. He he says this, the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by just a spark, just a small fire? James says this, the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, of sin, the the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course for our life and is set on fire by hell. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So the very, the very mouth that sings and gives praise to God curses those made in the likeness and the image of God. And we've all all done it. From the same mouth, James tells us, comes both blessing and cursing. (laughs) Who had any idea that the tongue had such power? James says too, he says, Everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted. That's God's word, which is able to save your souls. And James says this, If anyone thinks of himself as to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And as we started this morning, our scripture, our first scripture, verse thirty, there's a verse that talks about gathering and scattering, and then all of a sudden we move quickly into Jesus' discourse on these words of blasphemy. And 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 to me, I'm thinking, is this a clutch pop? You know, as we're learning how to drive a a five speed, and you you know, I would think most folks here know how to drive a straight gear. I mean, it's you're popping. All of a sudden, there's there's a disconnect. But no, there there's not. There's a connection between gathering and scattering in these words. How do our words figure into gathering and scattering? Jesus said that, that if you're with him, if we're with him, that we're in the business of, of gathering. And, but if we're against him, then we're in the business of scattering. And scattering implies discord. We can scatter with our words. If we're focused on the things... Of Jesus, we're focused on gathering. If we're focused, and we're focused on a kingdom mindset. But if we're focused on self, then we have a tendency to be about scattering. Talk that scatters. Titus, in the New Testament, he addresses talk that does not build up the kingdom. He says this in Titus chapter 3. He says, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and then after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. And that's an example of scattering, talk that scatters. Um, We may not realize it, but our words have influence. Maybe, you know, if we're honest, we... (laughs) Maybe we do realize the power of our words and the power of of far-reaching impact that they can have. Sometimes our situations prompt what comes out of our mouths and we have to take care to mind what we say. Maybe it's a scenario which is unfair or uncalled for. Maybe it's an unintentional slight. You know, maybe, maybe it's an intentional slight. But our mouths and our grumbling, the Old Testament calls it murmuring that can influence those around us and in Psalm 73 we had talked about this several months ago but there's three verses the psalmist has had a bad day the psalmist is seeing these people around him who want nothing to do with God, he sees them he sees them succeeding in life and the psalmist says this, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in innocence, but it's all in vain, because I've been stricken, stricken all day long, and I've been rebuked and chastened and corrected every morning, and it's all for naught. But then the psalmist gives us a warning of watching our tongue. He says this, But if I say, if I say and I talk about how bad I've got it, if I say thus, Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's essentially saying, Lo and behold, I really need to watch the words that come out of my mouth. You've heard me also quote a preacher named William Plumer who who was a 19th century Presbyterian preacher here in Virginia. And, and, And this is one of Plumer's quotes. He says this, We do a great wrong to believers and a special harm to weak Christians when we tell our foolish and wicked thoughts yeah, often we best glorify God by silence the chief design of some trials doubtless is to shut our mouths sometimes silence is the best thing for everyone okay Jake okay <laughs> enough about scattering What about an example of gathering? Words that gather, words that build up. Well, Paul addresses kingdom building, kingdom building talk in Ephesians 4.29. Famous verse, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Yeah. And then one one of my favorite verses, David says this, it's, it's, the heart, it's really the heart of the book of Psalms. The heart of a worshiper. When, when David says this in Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart... <laughs> Remember how wicked the heart is? Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yeah. What, what does Jesus tell us in this last verse this morning? And there in, in, in chapter 12, verse 37... Jesus says this, for by your words you will be justified, and, and, and your words, by your words you will be condemned. Can my words, can my words send me to hell? This is how I respond to that. Look quickly back at verse 31 and 32. I told you we were coming back to that. Jesus says this, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. In 31, Jesus says that any sin, blasphemy, could be forgiven And in 32, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that person could be forgiven. Really? That person could be forgiven? Absolutely. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking to the church and he says, you know, as believers, we too all formerly lived with the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like everybody else. But God being rich in in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Yeah, amen to that. By grace we're saved. And then Paul goes on to say, but now in Christ, Jesus, you who formerly were far off, and that's all of us, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And, and we've all sinned with our mouths, amongst other things. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short, and that the very definition of the word sin means to miss the mark. We've, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And, and it's only by the, the blood of Jesus that we can be brought near but what about this blasphemy, this speaking against the Holy Spirit? What makes this unforgivable? Well, we might need to be reminded of the identity and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In John 16, verse 5, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. If I go, I will send him, the helper, to you. And he... The Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's how the Holy Spirit is introduced. He's coming, and when He comes, He's coming to convict sin. The Holy Spirit is in business, is in the business of conviction. And the Spirit will always glorify the Son. But the Spirit has, is in the business of conviction. And if a person is listening to the Spirit, like you or like me, when we are first prompted by the Holy Spirit, when we come and we hear a song on the radio that points us to Christ, or we hear a sermon, or we have a Sunday school class, and we begin to, to chew on things of God and things of the kingdom, then this is what happens the Holy Spirit begins speaking to us because His Spirit is always desiring and always reaching out for us to take one more step closer to the things of God. And so the Spirit is speaking to us and prompting us and urging us. And when we see these children come forward in vacation Bible school, their hearts are tender, their hearts are pure, and they start, they begin to understand that that they're sinners, that they're guilty... And when we understand that we are guilty, we realize we we are sinners and we can't do anything about our sin and Jesus is the only one that can do anything about it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But see, when a person feels the prompting of the Spirit and tells the Spirit no, when the Spirit begins to point out things in lives that bring conviction but... But the person says no. This is what happens. Paul, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, he says, to, he's referring to these persons who ignore this spiritual conviction. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil and they're full of envy and there's murder and there's strife and there's deceit and there's malice. They're gossips. They're slanderers. They're haters of God. They're insolent. They're arrogant. They're boastful. They're inventors of evil. And although they know the ordinance of God, those that practice such things are worthy of death. They do not only... That what they're doing, they're, they're giving hearty approval. They're doing it, and they give hearty approval to those other ones that want to do it. They're encouraging, they're encouraging sin. The Holy Spirit is in the business of conviction. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that we have the opportunity to be saved. Amen. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. That's the only reason that we are here today. Because the Holy Spirit has been doing work in your lives and in mine. Thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's in the business of conviction. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that we have this opportunity to be saved. The Holy Spirit points out the reality that we are sinners and that we need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that begins the conversation of salvation. And if someone blasphemes the Spirit and speaks against the work of the Spirit, ignores the Spirit then the opportunity for salvation, the opportunity to have sins forgiven, that's, that's lost, that's forsaken. So what does Jesus mean when he says, in this age or in the age to come? The conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit is the only way to be saved. And in the day of Jesus, sin had to be addressed. In the time of the New Testament, in the early church, sin had to be addressed. Throughout the last two millennia, sin has to be addressed. And that's still the only means for salvation in this age. Despite what our friends in the news media tell us or our friends in daytime TV tell us, sin is the problem. Sin was the problem and... Sin will always be the problem. Sin, regardless of word or action or thoughts, sin is the problem. Sin was the problem, and sin will always be the problem until the Lord returns. The Holy Spirit is in the business of conviction the Holy Spirit points out the reality that we are sinners and that we need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And you see, that's the good news of the Gospel. God being rich in mercy because of His great love, that great love with which He has loved us, even when... We were dead in our sin. He has made us alive together with Christ because it's only by the grace of God that we've been saved. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ.